Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. The message that God has given me today has been one that has really spoke to my heart this week. Um, A lot of people say, well, Pastor, where where do you come up with all your messages? Well, you know, I have preached a few after almost 50 years, three times a week or sometimes more. But normally, God speaks to me and gives me the message before I give it to you. So that means if I'm stepping on your toes, guess what? Probably stepped on mine all week. Some of you that minister know what I'm talking about. And this is a little bit different because uh, I want to share with you tonight, uh, today from the little prophet of Nahum. Nahum. And the title of the message is Short Memories and Missed Opportunities. Short Memories and Missed Opportunities. I mentioned in the first service this morning that possibly the reason this ministered to me so much is I had a couple memorial services I had to do this week. One of them was my uncle that impacted my life greatly and getting to be with family and and sharing with them. But I'm so glad that God has a plan. I'm so glad that God knows what's going on. Now, the last time we spoke about the city called Nineveh, is when I preached about Jonah a few weeks ago. Remember that one? Talked about Nineveh. See, because of Jonah going to them, they had a revival. They had a revival. And they had become recipients of God's mercy and God's grace. And they repented. And when you repent, God pours out his blessings. Amen. That's what happens. But how many knows that they did not deserve God's grace? They did not deserve God's mercy. But guess what? Neither do you. Neither do I. I do not deserve God's grace. I do not deserve God's mercy. But I'm glad that the Bible tells me that I get a brand new batch every morning. Why? Because I know I need his grace. I need his mercy. And so we're going to be talking about that little book of Nahum. And I want us to have two points. I've already mentioned them. Short memories and missed opportunities. Short memories and missed opportunities. Before we get into the text, I want us to fill in a few gaps. Nahum was a contemporary of Zephaniah and Habakkuk and Jeremiah. He wrote his book around 650 BC or about 125 years after the story of Jonah. So after the story of Jonah was accounted, about 125 years passed, and Nahum writes this book. He writes this little story. Now, again, let me fill in a couple of gaps. And there was a king of Nineveh, or Assyria. Nineveh was a capital. And the king's name was uh, Ashurbanel, and he had become king of Assyria. And it had become the largest empire in the world at that time. It stretched from Cyprus to Iran. Now, it's kind of interesting that God allowed this nation to survive, and then they blossomed. 
They blossomed and become the largest empire in the world at that time. Now this king, his claim to fame, he was not the most humble person in the world. This was what he said. I, Ashapopola, king of the universe, on whom the gods have bestowed intelligence. Now some of us would question that comment. But he thought that he was something very, very special. The Syrian army was known for their ruthlessness. Now, remember when we talked about Jonah? Remember the reason, one of the main reasons Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? He told God, said, I knew you was going to save that bunch of heathens. Now, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I knew you was going to save them. That's the reason I didn't want to go. He did not want to go to see the Ninevites saved because they were mean folks. How many of you got a neighbor like that? No, don't, don't vote. <laughs> we need to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works. But he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He said, I knew that was what was going to happen. And guess what? It happened. After they repented, God poured out his blessings upon them. And so 125 years later, we find this little book of Nahum written. But as I said, the Assyrian army was known for their ruthlessness. They took great pride in maiming their enemies. Now they had two principal ways of killing people. And I haven't figured out which one I'd vote for. They either boil them in tar or skin them alive. Neither one of them sounds real pleasing to me. But they were known for that. They were known for their wickedness. But I think you could also say they had a short memory. It had been 125 years since Jonah had visited their city. And it brought revival. But they had totally forgotten the commitments they made to God. I said the commitments they made to God. They forgot about God's blessings. They forgot about God's mercy. They forgot about God's grace. Now before we go any further, in Nahum, I want us to look and see what's going on in Israel, while this story was being written, what was happening in Israel? Well, let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 33 and just read three verses. Manasseh had been a very wicked king. And God began to deal with Manasseh. And we see this in verse 10, where it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. I'm not sure if they were Baptists or Assembly of God. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord brought them upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria. Was Assyria? That's who we're talking about. Who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, 
He entreated the favor of the Lord, the God, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. How many knows that sometimes persecution brings us close to God? God's persecution, God allows it sometimes to get our attention. And it says he prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into the kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So here was Manasseh who had been a very evil king and God allowed them to be defeated, allowed him to be taken to Babylon as captive, allowed him to gain favor and sent back to Jerusalem and he understood something, God is God. Now that was what was going on in Israel. If you go on and read that scripture, you find that Manasseh did some great things. But now let's go back to the book of Nahum. Let's look at a few verses. Not going to take time to read it all. It's a short book. You're welcome to read it. But in chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in a whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel, whether the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. Hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world, and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Boy, that's a pretty strong indictment, isn't it? He said, I know the ones that take refuge in me. And 125 years earlier, the nation of, uh, or the city of Nineveh had taken refuge in God, but who was this written to? Let's look at the first verse. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. We know very little about Nahum. He was, uh, again, uh, a contemporary of Jeremiah, Writing during there, those times, we know nothing else about him. But he wrote this book, wrote this letter, wrote this uh, story to Nineveh. To Nineveh. Why? Because they had forgotten the commitments. They had forgotten what God had done for them. And again, these were not from Israel. These were people that were ungodly. They worshiped other gods. But when Jonah had went to them, they had repented and received God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. Now drop down to chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will burn your chariots in smoke. And the sword shall devour your young lions or your young men. I will cut off your prey from the earth. And the voice of the messengers shall no longer 
be heard. Chapter 3, verse 5. Behold, I am against you. Now, I don't know if that does anything for you, but I would hate for God to say, Behold, Daryl, I'm against you. Because guess what? I know if God's against me, I'm sunk. No hope. Because I can't stand against an almighty God. And he told these people, he said, Behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And will lift up your skirts over your face. And I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I know some of you say, well, pastor, how does this relate to us today? Let me just ask you, do you think it's possible that our nation, do you think it's possible that our churches, our pastors, our church members have forgotten all that God has done for us? Could it be that we've forgotten the promises, the commitments that we have made or received from God? Do we also have short memories? I know we say 125 years, and you say, well, pastor, that wasn't short. That was a long time. That was a long time. But, and I know our nation, if you go back to the time of the pilgrims, roughly around 400 years old. But compared to eternity, isn't that a short time? Short memories. But we don't have to go back that far. I said, we don't have to go back that far. We can just go back to 9-11. What was the resounding statement in 9-11? We shall never forget well, how many things we've already forgotten 20 years because our memories are short we forget those things that God has done for us I was thinking about the earlier cries in our nation remember Pearl Harbor did you know the day after Pearl Harbor, they could not process the guys quick enough because they were all wanting to go join the army, the military. Prior to that, it was remember the Lusitania, the Civil War. How about remember the Alamo? That's one of my favorites. Do you know what made the Alamo unique? See, they knew that they were going to die. Santa Ana had anywhere from three to 6,000 soldiers. In the little confine of the Alamo, there was around 200. Numbers are debatable. But it doesn't matter which figure you use, 200 compared to 6,000, you kind of know who's going to win. And see, they knew that they were all going to die. The whole battle of the Alamo was just a delaying tactic. 
just to give a few more days for the army that was almost non-existent in Texas to give them a few days to get together so they could stop Santa Ana. So for 10 days, they starved, stayed around the Alamo, and the commander gave them an opportunity to leave. And they had plenty of time. Said, you can leave because if you stay here, we're all going to die. No one left. All the roughly of the 200 men stayed knowing that they were going to die. The rallying cry, remember the Alamo, resonated throughout the area. And less than six weeks later, the Texas Army defeated this army of 6,000 because there were 200 that were willing to give their life. You say, well, that's a long time ago. When Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, I love the comment of Admiral Tadachi. He was over the Japanese and he said, we won a great tactical victory at Pearl Harbor and thereby lost the war. We won the victory, but we lost the war because later on he said, we just awakened the sleeping giant. Every time I read that statement, I think about the church. Brother Brown, the church is the sleeping giant. I said, it's a sleeping giant. And I don't know what it's going to take to wake the church up. Because, see, we've got short memories. We forget about all that God has done for us. We forget about his love. We forget about his protection. We forget. But as I've already mentioned, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, people remembered but unfortunately, just like those in Nineveh, our memories are often short-lived. Our memories are often short-lived. Now, I'm not a golfer. I go hit the ball every now and then when they need somebody to help their handicap. But I can relate to the man that went golfing and he was getting a little older and he told the golf pro, he said, I, I, I can't pick up my shot. Whenever I hit it, I can't see it. And of course, that's worse for me because I have no telling where it's going. But I can't see it. And the guy, he said, so I guess I'm going to give up golf. He said, don't do that. Let me get you a caddy. He said, a caddy? He said, yeah, he'll tell you where the shot went. He said, well, let me try it next Saturday. So next Saturday, he went out golfing, and about the fourth hole, he hit it, and he didn't have a clue. But the only problem, when he got there at the hut that day and, and the, the house, he looked at the guy. He says, did you get me a caddy? He said, yeah, that's him over there. And the 
guy said, he's older than I am. He said, yeah, he's 90. He said, but he's got great eyesight, and he can help you out. I said, well, let me try it. So about that third or fourth hole, he hit it, and he turned to the guy. Did you see it? I said, sure, I saw it. He said, well, where'd it go? He said, I forgot. <laughs> we have some short memories. Spiritually speaking, I said, spiritually speaking, I think we have some short memories. Just like the nation Nineveh. They forgot. Now, why do we forget? How can we change that? Well, if you follow God's word, he says, tell your children and your children's children. In other words, tell your children and your grandchildren all that God has done for you. Mary mentioned that I did a memorial for my uncle and, and just being with family and, and kind of reminiscing a little bit. I was reminded of how much God has done for me. But so often our memories are so short. So how can we change that? Well, we need to tell our children, our children's children, our children and grandchildren what else took place in the Old Testament you see over and over again? Every time they did something, they made a memorial. They made a reminder of God's goodness. When they crossed the Red Sea, what they do? said, make a memorial. When they did everything, make a memorial to remind us of God's goodness. Why? Because we got short memories. We forget about God's goodness. We forget about his grace. We forget those things. But we need to understand something. Every great institution is only one generation away from extinction. That includes the family. That includes the United States. That includes the church. One generation from extinction. So we need to remember. Then there's another element. See, it's not only short memories, but I believe we also have missed opportunities. Have any of you ever missed an opportunity? I want to tell you, around 37 years ago when I moved to Oxford, I missed an opportunity. If I'd have borrowed a bunch of money and invested in land, <laughs> I missed an opportunity. Every one of you probably said, oh, I missed it. I missed an opportunity. But how many times do we miss opportunities spiritually? Nineveh had a chance. They were granted a period of what? Grace. They were granted, and 125 years later, Nahum wrote this. Missed opportunities. 
See, the missed opportunities often revolve around that two-letter word, if. 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 We say, I should have, I would have, I could have. If. Now, I know some of you younger generation probably have never heard this saying. Some of you old folks might have missed it. But my mother used to say, whenever we'd say, if, any of you know what she'd say? She said, if a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his tail every time he jumped. Great words of wisdom. If, just a little word. But how many know that many of the promises in the Bible hinge on that if? See, God is unconditional. He never changes. He never lies. But there's a bunch about us that's got an if in there. Covenants. How many knows the Bible is basically about two covenants, Old, Old Covenant and New Covenant? And they were conditional, not on God's part, but on our part. Matter of fact, the verse that we quote often, especially around election time, if my people will humble themselves and pray. If. That's conditional. Let's go back and look at chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, where it says, the Lord is good. How many knows that the Lord is good? Amen. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. What an awesome promise. God says, I know those that take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. I thought it's kind of interesting to use that stronghold in the day of re as a refuge. But then he used the word flood. Remember the guy by the name of Noah? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so for the next hundred years, he preached. While he was building an ark, he preached. He preached. But no one took advantage of that opportunity. I can't imagine. I get frustrated with myself. I get disappointed in myself when, when I don't see people getting saved and respond to the call. He preached 100 years. Then I kind of get puffed up because I got a better record than Noah. <laughs> but we tend to forget. We tend to forget. And then we fail to take advantage of it. Nahum chapter 3, verse 19. There's no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. Did you catch that? Said, Nineveh, when you fall, everybody's going to celebrate. I don't know if you realize it or not, but there's a lot of people waiting to celebrate the death of the church. But I got news for them. I said, I got news for them. The church is going to be alive and well. 
Because our God is a merciful, just God. See, in the New Testament, over and over again, we find a number of words, but there's three words that we see connected together. We see the grace of God. We see the mercy of God. And we see the peace of God. Now, I don't know about you, but those three words give me such great consolation. Because I know that I don't deserve them. I know that I can't earn them, but I know it's a free gift to me if I remember who he is. See, just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and as he preached for over 100 years, what was his message? What was his message for 100 years while he was building the ark? It was all a message of invitation. Come in to the ark. Come in to the ark. Now, over in Romans chapter 9, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I encourage you to read it. But in chapter 9, begin reading verse 6. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his, excuse me, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. How many knows that God's word never fails? For not all are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they're his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now drop down to verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on him I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show the power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Down to verse 25. As indeed, he says in Hosea, another one of the little God, uh, prophets, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Then drop down to verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The word that's translated opportunity in the newer translations of the Bible. In the King James Version, the word is the appointed time. The opportunity or the appointed time. As Nahum was writing to Nineveh, he was reminding them that they had an opportunity. They had the appointed time. And he was basically saying, this is your opportunity. This is the appointed time. 
Now, the question is, how long is the appointed time? That's a good question. I have people recently, more than any other time in my ministry, asking me about the last days. They say, Pastor, what do you think about the, the end times? When do you think uh, the time's going to change? And there was a little thing, and somebody put it in Facebook of, I thought, really appropriate. Andy Griffith was talking to Opie. And Opie asked his dad, he said, Dad, when do you think Jesus is going to return? And he said, well, Opie, I really don't know. See, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee. I thought that was a pretty good answer. I don't know how long the appointed time is. I don't know when it's going to take place. But I can tell you, when it is time, when the appointed time is fulfilled, you're not holding it back. I'm not holding it back. The governments of the world are not holding it back because God's word is going to be fulfilled. See, how long is the appointed time? That's a good question. See, Nahum prophesied in 650, about 125 years after Jonah went to Nineveh. 38 years later, 38 years later, Nineveh was destroyed. And up until recently, they said that there was no such thing as Nineveh. They couldn't find it. But now they found that there was a Nineveh. And it was destroyed 38 years later. You say, Pastor, okay, how does that apply to us? Can I, or may I encourage you today to remember? Remember God's grace. Remember God's love. Remember his blessings. And not only to remember them, but to help you enforce those, to share those memories with others, to share them. May I also encourage you to seize the moment. See, several times in Paul's letters, he makes a statement, seize the opportunity. Seize the opportunity or grab it. Because you don't know how long that opportunity is going to be. Now, this is just my opinion. This has not come from medically researched. This is just my opinion. I believe that COVID has sped up a lot of the process. Things that were taking a little bit long, longer because of COVID, the process has been sped up. Things are happening, and we don't have a clue what's going to happen next. Most of us have something in our lives that we messed up. We've missed the opportunity. And I was just thinking about that. I said, well, you know, that's just part of life. It's part of life to miss an opportunity. 
But don't miss the opportunity to take advantage of God's grace and his mercy and his peace. Because that's not life. That's death. And we don't know when that window of opportunity will close. So as Nahum wrote to Nineveh, gave them a warning. How many knows there's a whole lot of warning right in here? Whole lot of warning. He says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what's in there. And I want you to take opportunity of every opportunity that you have to seize the moment because you may not have another one to come your way. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for your word. God, I ask you to help us remember today. I know ever how many people are here, ever how many people are online, there's that many thoughts, that many remembrances. And would you be so kind, Holy Spirit, to help us remember today? Remember the love of God. Remember the grace of God. Remember the peace of God. Help us to remember. And God, would you help us? Help us to seize the moment. The appointed time, maybe today, we have no idea. When Naomi was writing that, they didn't have an idea that would be another hundred years plus. They didn't seize the opportunity. Help us to seize the moment. Help us to seize the moment, to seize the time. We're going to sing a song, an old song. And if you're here today and you need to renew your memory, or you need to seize the opportunity to ask God to touch you, to strengthen you, and encourage you, we're just going to ask you to make your way to the front and let us pray with you. Not going to embarrass you. We're not going to be singing out. Just want to let you seize the moment. Take the opportunity. Because I want to remember the good things of God. And I want to take advantage of the opportunities that present us. Father, have your way the next few moments. Let this be a special time as you touch people's hearts and lives. God, if there's someone that's been running from you, maybe like Jonah, maybe like the king of Nineveh that thought he was so big and so great, but he too died. So minister by your power and your strength today is our prayer and our desire in Jesus' name.
behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.